Father in heaven, God, thank you that you're gracious and kind and you give grace to the humble. Father, Lord, we want to humble ourselves before your word uh, and we want your word to transform us. So, Father, we come to you weak. Uh, we come to you broken. Uh, we come to you sinful, uh, knowing that, God, your mercy covers us and that your power works within us, that we would live holy, that we would live pleasing to you. So help us now through this message in your son's precious name. Amen. So yeah, tonight um, I will be answering the question, how can I have a real devotional life? Um, and we're in this series, um, a topical series, asking questions that Pastor Francis, uh, myself, and Winston, and um, the speakers uh, that we thought would be good for you guys, uh, for college students to think through. Um, and, and I personally wanted to um, answer this question because uh, it is uh, near and dear to my heart. One of the songs that I love to sing is Jesus, I, my cross have taken. Um, it's an honest song. Um, I'm sure a good number of you, uh, a good number of you loved it as well. Um, and, and what, um, you know, what that song is known for is really the uh, kind of graphic um, language about the cost of discipleship. Um, and there are honestly like great, great uh, pleas to God. Like um, I really love perish every fond ambition, all I've sought or hoped or known. You know, it's kind of intense. Um, but you know, the, the stanza that gets me the most um, and, and it makes me cringe every time I start to sing it is go then earthly fame and treasure come disaster scorn and pain in thy service pain is pleasure with thy favor loss is gain uh, and, and those are hard words to to sing um, and uh, you know even even if trials um, and circumstances expose that wow that's 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 not not really me um, we still sing it because we want it to be true, right? Um, there, there's another song that we sing at Lighthouse um, called Jesus is Better. Um, and the refrain, you guys are familiar with it, it goes, in all my sorrows, Jesus is better. Make my heart believe in every victory than any comfort, Jesus is better, right? Make my heart believe. Um, and yeah, actually, there was a time when you know, I didn't I didn't feel comfortable singing that that last line, make my heart believe, because in my mind, I was thinking, I do believe that, like, I don't need to ask God <laughs> to make me believe that. And I remember talking to Rethan about that. And she told me, like, what are you talking about? You, you don't always live like that. <laughs> I'm just yeah. kidding. She never said that. She never said that. Okay, But um, <laughs> over time, I realized, man, I should still sing this song because um, you know, I think I believe it in my head, uh, but do I always live consistent with this truth? I, I don't think so. So maybe you feel the same way um, about this song uh, that, that I do about Jesus, I, my cross have taken. You know, I, I want this to be true. Um, I, I know this is true in my head, um, but how do I get it, uh, get from here in my head to, to truly living it out? And I believe it's, it's meditation, meditation. And if you're like me, uh, you, you know what it's like to struggle 
right? Struggling with the, the same sins over and over, uh, whether it's sexual sin or, or, or getting frustrated and angry at someone or, or the discontentment. You know, you're wanting to grow, wanting to love God with all your heart, but stumbling again and again and, and being frustrated. Seems like uh, you're not making progress in your sanctification. But I will testify to you, um, and, and this is the testimony of Scripture as well, that, that meditation is what transforms life. Meditating on God, who he is, his word, his truth, this is what makes you fervent for God. Meditation is what connects the truth that we know in our head with how we actually live. So when we talk about uh, private devotion um, or having a quiet time, I think we usually think about Bible reading and praying, right? Uh, we listen to God through his written word, and then we talk to God through prayer. But I think that what sometimes gets left out of the conversation is meditation. One author called it the missing link between Bible reading and prayer. So in this message, we're not going to focus on how to study scripture, how to read or how to pray, um, as important as those are. Uh, but we're going to focus on meditation because I think that's what might be missing or, or what at least needs to be reinforced for many of us. A conscious practice of meditation that's intentional and regular. And, and yes, we, we do need Bible study. We do need an informed prayer life. But what really strengthens both is meditation. So we'll do this um, to talk about meditation by asking four questions, as you can see in your notes. Um, and it's kind of structured the way Winston um, structured his message on accountability. Um, four parts. Here are the four questions. One, what is it? Um, two, why do it? Three, why is meditation hard? And four, how do you do it? Okay, so pretty easy to, to follow. So first, what is biblical meditation? So we'll start with some scriptures. I mean, if you do have your Bibles, um, please turn to Joshua 1. Joshua chapter 1. We'll start there. And many of these verses and passages um, you're, you're familiar with. But here in Joshua 1, Moses has died. God commissions Joshua to lead Israel into the promised land. And this is what God tells Joshua in verses 7 and 8. Only be strong and very courageous, uh, courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Mo Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. So you notice that Israel is going into battle, but what does God tell Joshua to do? God doesn't give him a, a strategic battle plan, you know, in the way we usually understand military combat. God tells him, you need to stick to what I've told you. you. You need to follow closely to the law that I gave you to obey all of it. And, and how is Joshua going to do that? Well, Joshua's going to have to meditate on it day and night. He's going to have to think a lot about the law so that he correctly understands it, so that he doesn't miss any of it, 
and so that he actually does it. And that's what's going to guarantee success for Israel. Okay, so is biblical meditation, I mean, th this isn't only for Joshua, right, a, a leader of a whole nation. This is the pattern of all the godly saints in Israel. In Psalm 77, verse 12, Asaph, he says this, I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Psalm 119, verse 48, um, the psalmist there says, I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. David says in Psalm 145, verse 5, on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. Okay, but when you read these passages, does it seem like meditation is what really godly believers do? You know, only the, the mature um, saints, is, is, that's what they do, meditate. Um, you know, I mean, Joshua, he was the leader right, of Israel. And, and these psalmists, I mean, their writings are inspired scripture. Biblical meditation um, is not optional. You know, it, it's, it's a command. The psalms that we read describe me psalmist meditation, uh, meditating, but there are passages in scripture um, that command us to meditate biblically. <clears throat> so Romans 12, 2 says, be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Ephesians 4, 23, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Colossians 3, 2, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Colossians 3, 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So we see that this is a command for all of us to meditate on God, the things above, his worth, his word, his works, whatever reflects his glory. Okay, so every Christian should be meditating but it, it still seems like something that's, that's very difficult and hard to do. Um, and here's the thing with meditation. Meditating in general is something that you and I are already doing, right? I mean, we're always, um, we're, we're already dwelling on something. Uh, the things that we spend a lot of time thinking about, they say something about our hearts. What concerns you? You know, what, what excites you? You know, what makes you happy? What we think most often about reveals what's important to us, what delights us. But it's also this. It works the other way. It, it's not just that what we meditate on reveals our hearts. It's also that what we meditate on shapes our hearts. It trains our hearts. To, to think a certain way, um, meditate, it, it shapes our desires. <clears throat> it tells us that this is what you should really want, Seichi. This, this is what's important. This is what will make you happy, Seichi. If you lose this, then, then you should worry, you should fear, you should fret. So for example, if all that you're thinking about is, is getting into a certain grad school program or, or a particular job, and you think about this for days and weeks and even, even years, you know, what, what is that going to do to you? You know, it's going to make you anxious about getting it. It's going to make you envious of others who do well. It can make you demanding and short with people. It might even make you shut out other people in your life. And if you don't get in, you know, it's, it's going to crush you. So, so that's an example 
on a larger scale. Uh, but this goes down to something smaller, right? Uh, the everyday occurrences. If you're spending hours and hours endlessly watching shows, uh, playing games, you know, like wh what is that gonna do to you? Like you're training your heart. You're telling your heart, this is what's gonna make you happy. Or say um, someone makes a comment that, that stings you. If, if you keep replaying that scene over and over and you're setting up a courtroom in your mind and you're defending yourself and accusing the other person, what is that going to do to you? you you're going to let bitterness get a tighter and tighter grip on your heart. What you meditate on will shape your heart. So the question is, you know, we're, we're already meditating. So are, are we meditating in the right way? Is our meditating pleasing to God? And that's why David says in Psalm 19, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. All right. Um, but, you know, at this point, what would really be helpful um, is to get a, a better, more concrete idea of what meditating can look like. And um, in preparing for this message, uh, I read through a book uh, by David Saxton called God's Battle Plan for the Mind, the, the Puritan Practice of Biblical Meditation. Um, and and I, I highly recommend it to you. Um, so a lot of my references are actually from that book. Um, yeah, and it's a study on how the Puritans practiced biblical meditation. And I found it to be very helpful, the descriptions, categories, the, the practical advice given in that book. Um, so I think they put into words what you and I um, have already been doing, you know, biblically meditating, but um, they help make it concrete and, and um, help us to do it better. Okay, so as you see in your notes, um, I have one definition there by um, um, a Puritan named George Swinnick. Um, meditation is a serious applying of the mind to some sacred subject until our affections are warmed and our resolution is strengthened against evil. All right, and, and when you look at um, a bunch of the way the Puritans described meditating, it, it does, you see this common theme. It, it's basically um, affecting your heart with the goal of personal application. And I came up with my own working definition. It's collected from different sources. Um, and, he, and here it is, the definition. Biblical meditation is affecting your heart by thinking deeply on the things of God with the goal of understanding and personal application. So meditation, what it is, is purely just thinking deeply um, about what? About the things of God, about his word, about his works. Um, and, and you want it to let it affect your heart. And, and what's the, the goal? What's the point? Um, you want increased understanding of God and his ways. Um, and you want it to actually do something in your life. You want it to um, change the way you live. You want to apply it. So in, in thinking about what this biblical meditation is, it's helpful to know what it isn't. So I listed at least three things that biblical meditation is not. First, Biblical meditation is not emptying your mind. You know, it's not meditation in the way we um, maybe hear about it in, in um, you know, with Far Eastern religions. You're not trying to not think about anything. 
Biblical meditation is the exact opposite. It's filling your mind with biblical truth. Second, biblical meditation is not vain speculation. It's not just pointless um, theorizing. It's something abstract in your head that doesn't lead to change. It's thinking that's action-oriented. You might have heard the expression, some people are so heavenly-minded that they're of no earthly good. Um, But if you are truly heavenly-minded, then you will be earthly good. Okay, third, biblical meditation is not trying to hear an audible voice from God. Um, it is it is not mysticism. You know, the ultimate goal isn't trying to feel warm fuzzies toward God. You know, and sometimes you will, um, and, and that's the grace. Um, you know, you have these moments of, of of the Lord opening your heart and eyes, and you're thinking, "How could you love me, Father?" So when those moments come, embrace it, sit in it. Um, but the goal isn't to get those feelings. Um, the goal is you want to know God and love him. You want to know God, understand him better, understand his word better. And you want to love God by knowing how to practically obey and trust him. Okay, so the goal isn't trying to reach this esoteric plane, you know, this, this special relationship with God that, that you know, you have, you can, you can hear his voice. Um, yeah, we, we hear God, quote unquote, here through, through the written word. And this is, a, this is a problem because when you start deviating from scripture, there's, there's a danger of substituting your thoughts for his. So biblical meditation must be tied to the Bible. All right. So why do biblical meditation? Why practice it? This is the second section. Um, we already talked about the first two, actually. Um, first, it's the example of godly saints in scripture, and, and we should want to follow them. Second, it's a command. So the question isn't, should we do it? But why aren't I doing it? And, and how can I do it better? Third reason why we should practice biblical meditation, um, it leads to understanding. And as students, um, I'm still a student myself, so we, we all know how important it is to review something that we heard in class, right? Um, we understand something more when we review the material uh, and go over homework problems. So that the, the principles that we learned in lecture, um, we can actually work those out um, ourselves through the, through the homework problems. Um, but if you don't review, if you don't do the homework, then yes, you might remember the term. Um, you might know the formula even, um, and, and you kind of get the concept, but you don't really know how acid-based titrations work. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't. I don't think I did even when I was trying to do them. Um, anyways, without meditating, your understanding of God and the riches of his word um, is, is going to be confined. It's going to be limited, uh, even surfacy. Um, if you turn with me uh, to 2 Timothy 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul says this to Timothy in verse 7, Think over what I say. 
for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So meditating is the means, the chosen means by which God gives you and increases your understanding of truth. So in the context of this passage, Paul's referring to illustrations that he just used earlier in the chapter. Uh, he's talking about a dedicated soldier, a law-abiding athlete, uh, the hardworking farmer. But it's not just the knowledge of what these metaphors mean. It's the practical implications of these metaphors on Timothy's life. What will it look like for Timothy um, in his ministry as a pastor in Ephesus to, to share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. So it is the same with us. As we reflect on these images, God will provide the understanding for applying those truths to our lives. What will it look like for you as a student at your school, a member of Lighthouse, um, a daughter, a son in your family um, to, to share in suffering as the good soldier of Christ Jesus? Okay. Um, and the Lord gives you understanding of how to apply that. And so that, that leads naturally to number four, which is biblical meditation leads to doing. Donald Whitney um, says this, meditation is the bridge between knowing and doing. And as I mentioned earlier, meditation is what connects the truth in your head to how you live it out. Hearing a sermon uh, or, or reading the Bible without meditating can be like putting things into a bag with holes. Now, to be sure, you're not going to retain everything that you heard or read that day, and, and that's not the point. The point is that without meditating, we are just going to be hearers of the word and not doers. Um, let's go to Philippians 4 now. Philippians 4. This is, um, we're still talking about how meditation leads to doing. Philippians 4 verses 8 to 9 says this, Paul speaking. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So in, in this final exhortation that Paul gives to the believers in Philippi, what immediately follows, think about these things. It's to practice what has been taught. The believers in that city, they had a living example of what the, the truths they heard, what that looks like, fleshed out. They saw it in Paul of how to apply the truth of God's word. You know, what would you think of someone who has a gourmet meal, let's say a filet mignon in, in front of him, and instead of carefully chewing and savoring each bite, he just takes each piece and just swallows it. You know, every single piece swallowing it. And that, that's what it's like to read the Bible without really thinking about what you're reading. And that's what it's like when you're constantly hearing sermons without meditating on them. You're not savoring it. You're not chewing on it. It's not affecting how you live your life. 
fifth um, benefit or uh, of biblical meditation, why, sh- why should we do it? Um, it leads to worshipful joy. Psalm 1, you guys know, verse 2, this is talking about the blessed man. Uh, the blessed man, his delight, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. In Psalm 119, verse 97, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. That's what we want, right? That's what we want for ourselves, our experience to be. Imagine what it's like to be excited to read and meditate on God's word. Imagine what it's like to see things you haven't seen before in the Bible, to understand more of what you're reading, the significance of the tiniest detail in scripture and how it's connected to something else that's written thousands of years earlier. And imagine seeing in scripture the, the great, the, the grand scope of it all, the, the history of humankind, the God behind it all, orchestrating all things for his glory. Imagine that you're outside and imagine being astounded by the God of creation as you stand at the foot of Mount Everest and you strain your neck to see this towering mountain and thinking, you know, if this were to somehow start crumbling over me, I would be crushed. Imagine what it's like to take a verse like Luke 7, 47. It says, he who is forgiven little loves little. Imagine thinking and meditating on that and thinking, why don't I love the Lord as I should? Why don't I understand how much I've been forgiven? Imagine knowing more of the holiness of Christ and and feeling the crushing weight of your sin and being pierced in your heart. Imagine what it's like to then know that you won't be cast aside, but that this Christ, that he died for you, that he forgave you. Imagine what meditating will do for you. This is what it could be. And this is what it is to walk with God, to enjoy him. And that's the great privilege of your Christian life, walking with God. But the truth is, it takes work um, to get there, um, right? I mean, it, it's hard. We live in a, and this is going into the third section, why is biblical meditation hard? Well, we live in a world that is vying for our attention, you know, our newsfeed, Instagram, Facebook, uh, emails, texts, and we have lots to do. Um, we are busy with good responsibilities. Meditation, it can seem too difficult and rewards don't come very quickly. Uh, in my flesh, I don't want to do it. Um, my mind can be clouded. Um, I don't know what to meditate on. Um, there are a lot of distractions and it's just easier to turn, to turn to things that give me instant gratification. You know, whether it's entertainment, crafts, fun things, right? One video after another, one article after another, one Wikipedia page after another. Before you know it, the night's over and, and we barely thought about Christ. And, and if I could um, boil it down, and maybe this isn't the thing, but I would say, Um, this is something that we need to think about. A hindrance to meditation is lack of faith. 
it, it's unbelief. You see in your notes, um, maybe these are some things that you've thought for yourself before, you know, why isn't that we're not reading and why isn't that we're not meditating on the word of God? Well, functionally, functionally, what do you truly believe about the Bible? That, that it is sufficient? Or, or is it that the Bible, it's not really going to help me? You know, it, it's not going to help me with my frustrations with my family. It, it's not going to help me with this feeling of discontentment that I just can't shake off. It, it's not going to help me with my struggles. Or meditating on the Bible, it's, it's not going to give me joy. I mean, it's just more work. It's hard to understand. This is not going to make me happy. Or meditating on the Bible, honestly, it won't make a difference in how I live today. I mean, I get enough of the word on Fridays at Beacon, Sundays at church, on Wednesdays or, or Thursdays at my fellowship group. And that, that seems enough, right? It's not really going to make much of a difference if I think about it and meditate on it today. But here's what Hebrews 11 verse 6 says. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. He rewards those who seek him. Why aren't we reading scripture and meditating on it? I think we have to call it for what it is. Expose it as a sinful lack of faith. It is a lack of faith that God will reward you with greater insight into the riches of his word, that he will reward you with a greater awe of himself in his ways, that he will lead you to Romans 11, 33, to say with Paul, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. It's a lack of faith that God will take you there. It's a lack of faith that God will give you help in your time of need, a lack of faith that he will comfort you in your sorrow that he will make you bold in the face of fear, that he will make you stand when you feel like falling. You know, it's a lack of faith that he will grant you the motivation you need for holy living. Scripture says God is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. But here's the thing. If you don't meditate, you cut off that pathway of grace. For, for God to work that desire out in you. So how can you expect your desires to change if you don't give time for the spirit to use his word to shape your desires and to stir you to action? Meditating is hard, but we, we can't just give up easily. You, you got to stay in it. You, you know what it's like to struggle through being disciplined and, and yet feel the freedom, the joy, the satisfaction that comes with discipline. I mean, you're, you're a student, um, and many of you, I'm sure, are athletes, um, and, and you can play an instrument. And you, you know what that struggle is like of discipline, but knowing the joy that, that comes um, in being disciplined. Okay. So lastly, um, we're going to get into the more practical, how do you do it? How do, how do you practice meditating? All right, so just a caveat. Um, anytime we get practical, um, there, there is a danger 
to mistake the application of the principle for an authoritative command of God. So uh, guys, I'm, I'm not laying down the law. I'm not saying that this is the only way to meditate, but this is just wisdom, wisdom gathered from how believers in the past have done it and, and confirmed through my own experience. So the biblical command is clear. It's to meditate, but exactly how to do it is not fully fleshed out. So, so take what I'm about to say and, and do them only insofar as these principles help you apply the practice of meditation. Okay, so some preliminary considerations. I'll go over these quick. Um, the time of day, and consider the best time of day for meditating. Um, is it in the morning um, for you, you know, before you get on with the day's activities? Maybe that's when you have the most energy and the ability to focus. Um, and in many days, it, it's not going to be your usual time, and, and that's okay. Okay, uh, second, the place. Uh, choose a place where you won't be um, distracted and ideally um, separate yourself from, from all company. So, I mean, this could be your room um, or, yeah, uh, what I like to do um, sometimes is to go out for a walk. Um, and, and I highly recommend that um, if you haven't really done that before um, to uh, when you're out for a walk to meditate and pray. And of course, you can do that in your head. But I found that what really helps me is to meditate and pray audibly, you know, um, and if it's not loud, it, it seems as though I'm muttering. So, so meditating can, can lead to praying. Um, but in my own experience, I think meditating and praying, um, they work hand in hand. They go back and forth. All right. But in general, you want to find a place relatively free from distraction. And of course, um, peace and quiet is not guaranteed. There are seasons in life where this is more difficult, um, like I'm sure Francis and Bree having a new baby. Um, you know, but the point, the point is fight to focus, fight to focus. Okay, third, the length of time. How much time should you set aside to meditate? Plan enough time so as to get some benefit for yourself, for your soul. Um, some days you're going to have more time. Other days you're not. And you might just have a few minutes in the morning before you head off to your tasks. You can choose a paragraph, you know, from the Psalms or the Gospels and just slow down and meditate on a verse or two. All right. So, yeah, we want to be consistent um, with meditating. And, and that's what um, these three ideas are trying to get at. Um, the time of day the place, the length of time. Um, we want to be consistent because that builds good godly habits. All right, now we're going to go on to different categories. So I got this from that book I mentioned earlier. Um, and the, the Puritans helpfully distinguish between different kinds or different aspects of meditation. So first, there's a difference between deliberate and occasional meditation. So deliberate is when you set aside an extended period of time. Um, so yeah, this is what we would call a quiet time or private devotion. But this isn't just reading scripture at your normal speed. Um, you can read it at your normal speed, but you're also chewing on truth and you're letting it inform your prayer, even, yeah, mixing it with prayer. Occasional meditation, on the other hand, is spontaneous. 
You know, it's using anything in your daily experience, you know, what you observe in the world to lift your thoughts to God and his truth. So occasional meditation, this can be at any time, any place, any situation. You can do this while washing the dishes, driving somewhere, taking a shower. So for example, um, let's say you're going for a walk outside. And honestly, this could be your time of deliberate meditation. Um, but I'm going to give an example of occasional meditation. Okay, so it's a warm day. Um, it's getting hot. So you pause in the shade of a tree. And you enjoy the cool breeze. And the tree reminds you that God is a refuge. That God is like a tree. That he protects those who come under uh, his shadow, who abide in his shadow. You, you're shielded from the heat of the sun in that moment. And, and you can appreciate more the coolness of the breeze, right? It's a grace of God. But when you go out from under God's protection and wander off and attempt to do things on your own, yeah, you can bear with the heat for some time, but pretty soon it'll wear you out. The pressures of life, it'll make you collapse. So thinking about that makes you thankful for the tree, literally, for giving you shade. Um, but it also makes you thankful for God, who is a refuge to you, who protects you from temptations that threaten to destroy us. So that's an example of occasional meditation. Deliberate meditation could be further divided into two categories, direct and reflexive meditation. Direct meditation is to increase understanding of the biblical truth. Reflexive meditation is to convict the heart about the application of the biblical truth. In other words, to, to apply the passage to yourself. Um, so, yeah, like a conversation that you're having with friends, when you, you know, the topic is going to jump from one to the next, right? And in meditation, um, your mind is going to jump from one thought to the next, then on to something else, and then you'll come back to the same thought. You know, it, meditating is, is going to feel messy. It's going to be messy. It's going to feel like you're wandering, um, but that's okay. As long as you try to keep to biblical themes and applications of those themes in your life. <clears throat> So an example that I want to give of direct meditation, um, this is to increase understanding of a, of a truth. Um, I want to take a verse from this past Sunday sermon, Matthew 6, verse 26. Jesus is talking here. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Okay, so you're, you're trying to understand this verse in its context and, and this whole passage. And of course, you can use Bible study aids as a part of direct meditation, but you don't need them as well to, to, to just meditate on this. And you ask questions of the text. You know, what, what's going on here? Um, Jesus is giving a command. Look, uh, look at what? The birds of the air. These are, these are commonplace creatures, you know? Um, they were there in the first century. They're here now. They, they were here all the time in the history of humankind. And, and this, by the way, 
is an example of Jesus's own practice of occasional meditation. Jesus used everyday objects, animate and inanimate, to point to greater truths about God and how to relate to him. And Jesus himself is doing occasional meditation. Okay, so back to the verse. You know, these, these birds, um, they don't do what humans do, all this work. You know, we sow seed. We have to wait months for the harvest. Then we reap what grows and gather them into barns. All this work. The birds don't. And yet, what does Jesus say? Second person, your. You know, your, not just the, not just God, but your heavenly father. Right? This is personal, very personal. My father. My father feeds the birds. And, and here's the point that Jesus makes. Are, are you not of more value than they? You know, who's Jesus talking to? And this is Sermon on the Mount back in chapter five, verse one. And Jesus is talking to the crowds and his disciples make up a part of that crowd. Are, aren't we of more value than animals? Well, according to Genesis 1, we're the crown of creation. Animals are not made in the image of God. We are. And yet, are we doubting that God will provide for us? But we can keep going, right? And this is kind of how the one thought leading to the next. Um, this is how my mind worked. Um, maybe your mind goes to Acts 14. Um, and, and Paul, he's in Lystra, and there's people there who witness Paul healing a crippled man, but there's this temple for Zeus, and you know that they're worshiping uh, another god. Um, but Paul says to them um, that, that God didn't leave himself without a witness. He, he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Paul's saying, look, look this, is, this is how merciful God is even to unbelievers, right? God does not destroy unrepentant sinners immediately. He, he doesn't just perpetually cause a famine either to withhold rain and, and food and produce from them. No, God is so kind and so patient that he satisfies the hearts of heathen, of, of those who worship false gods. He gives them food and gladness. All right, but you can go further like, like I did um, when you're meditating. Yeah, I think there was a verse in the Psalms about God providing for animals. And so I Googled it. Um, you know, Psalm 147, verses 8 and 9, this is what it says. He covers the, God covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. And so as, as your mind thinks about this, this just reinforces the point that Jesus is making. God is a provider. It's in his blood, so to speak, to give, to bless, to provide. He does that for animals, for beasts, for birds. He does that for unbelievers. He does that for us, believers. So why worry? Well, if you are an unbeliever and you're not seeking first the kingdom of God, then there's every reason to worry because there is no guarantee that God will feed you with food and clothing. 
But Jesus says later on in that chapter, but if you seek him first, he will give you what you need. Okay, so all that is direct meditation. You're just trying to understand what Jesus is talking about. You're looking at each word, each phrase. You can step back and see it in its bigger context. You can connect it to other passages that come to mind. The point is to increase the depth of understanding. Okay, so next is reflexive meditation. This is when you apply the passage to yourself, and and this is when your heart is convicted. And and this is is what's hard, you know, because you're putting it into practice. You know, what, what am I worrying about? I might not be worried about, you know, if having food for today uh, or if I'll have clothing, but what is it that I fear losing? How am I doubting that my heavenly father will provide for me and confess it to the Lord? You know, for, for you, what is it that's threatened, you know, a certain grade in class because a lower GPA um, will mean a lower chance for admittance into the grad school that you want to get into? You know, for me, I worry uh, and worried earlier this week about whether I'll get this message ready in time. You know, I worry if this message will be as clear as it can be or if it'll be confusing, if it'll land well. And so I need to confess to the Lord, forgive me for not trusting you that with the time allotted to me, I can be faithful. You know, forgive me for thinking that you will fail to bless my desire to serve others through the preaching of God's word. Forgive me for doubting that God, you will provide what is needed to to make this sermon come together and and be helpful. God, strengthen my resolve and and help me to carry this out faithfully, to just keep working on the sermon in faith. Reflexive meditation will make you uncomfortable. Um, it can it can even be painful because it unearths sin and it, it makes you deal with it. Okay, all right. So we move on to steps for uh, deliberate meditation. Um, this is yeah. From I, I gave you multiple examples, but from start to finish, this is what it can look like for deliberate meditation. First, I mean, you want to be praying for the Spirit's help because you need God to open your eyes, to deepen understand. You need God to help you see more of his glory, to make you fervent for Christ, to strengthen your resolve to obey him, to give you joy, hope, and peace. So you want to ask God for his help. Next, you want to choose what to meditate on. It should be a small enough verse or, or a theme for detailed concentration. And like I said earlier, in, in this whole process of meditating, yeah, one thought can lead to the next. But, but the idea is that you can give focused thought to a biblical truth. This can come from your daily Bible reading. Let, let that fuel your meditation. And sometimes what you read that day won't easily lead to meditation. Sometimes it does. Sometimes you might want to read less so that you can meditate more. I try to read four chapters a day, but I don't always do that. Ask questions of the text. Why? For understanding and for application. Okay. And um, the verse or the theme that you want to meditate on, it can also come from a sermon. And uh, one of my counseling professors uh, at the school I go to, 
Um, he says he spends Monday morning reflecting on the previous day's sermon. Um, it's been said, it's better to meditate on one sermon than hear five. So I, I know that I've definitely not been good at this um, because it is easier. It's easier to hear a bunch of sermons than to take one and apply it to your life. And so I'm preparing for this message. Personally, I've been challenged um, to do this more. Um, you can also think about providence. How is God working in your life? If, if, you know, if it's not from your daily scripture reading or from sermons, sometimes it's helpful to just reflect on what's going on in your life. What happened the day before? What did you do? Who did you interact with? Um, or even as you think ahead for that day, you know, what, what do you have ahead of you? These thoughts can lead you to a topic to meditate on. And just yesterday, I had plans to meet up with a friend. And so I spent um, a bit of that morning thinking about restoring, about restoration. So I went to James 5, verses 19 to 20, Galatians 6, 1. How should I, how should I restore in a spirit of gentleness? Okay, lastly, um, and I'm not saying that these are all... Um, I guess the places where you can find what to meditate on, but, but music is one. Um, let good Christian music with simple truths and rich theological content fill your mind and, and let it ele elevate your spirit. Um, and personally, um, I've enjoyed a, a group called The Corner Room. Um, their songs are scripture put to music. And if you've listened to those sometimes you know that the music isn't as catchy or um yeah it might not be your go-to music um but um this group in particular i i do recommend um and so i commend it to you yeah so you choose small enough uh, a small enough verse or theme for detailed concentration this can be taken from your daily bible reading a sermon what's going on in your life or music all right um, next, an appropriate subject to your condition. Um, if, you know, you wake up in the morning and, and you're feeling sad or, um, and, and, and it's this perpetual sadness, you can meditate on the sadness of Christ. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Um, Ed Welch says this, um, why, why should we meditate on the suffering of Christ because it can take your eyes off your own suffering. Welch says this, have you noticed that sometimes in the presence of someone whose suffering seems greater than your own, our suffering seems lighter, less intense? It is as if the suffering of another can temporarily, temporarily take us out of ourselves. The sufferings of Jesus can indeed elevate us and take us out of ourselves end quote. So yeah, that doesn't mean that you don't acknowledge how real your suffering is. No, you do the exact opposite is you cry out to the Lord. Uh, but one thing you can do is to meditate on the suffering of Christ. And if it's too abstract, then you can open the word, turn to Matthew 26, let the words of Christ in the garden of Gethsemane fill your mind and let it bring you comfort. Okay, um, next, uh, be specific, varied, and practical. Be specific. You don't want to be too general. 
um, because that's not going to help as much. Um, you want to vary it because scripture's so rich, right? There's so much to meditate on and you do not want to be a lopsided Christian. You don't want to be always thinking about one side of truth without giving much thought to another. You know, for example, um, if you hardly ever think about repentance and self-examination and your own sin, and, and you're always thinking about God's grace, then grace isn't going to mean a, a whole lot to you. But if you're always thinking about your sin and hardly ever about the mercy of God and the compassion of Christ, you're, you're going to look defeated. You're going to be joyless. And um, third, uh, practical. As we've been saying, let your meditation lead to a change in your life, lead to something practical. Um, and, and sometimes that practical is, is just praising God, is just adoring him and, and, and thanking him for the truth that he revealed to you. Um, all right, it's 847. Man. All right. Um, I do want to talk about um, self-examination. I believe that's another um, topic of meditation. Um, Psalm 119, 59 says this, when I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. Haggai 1, 5 says this, now therefore thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. And this should be a regular practice for us. We should be considering um, our ways, pay careful attention to yourself and to the teaching. So um, for me, uh, earlier this week, I spent part of a morning meditating and I specifically reflected on how the day before I, I felt discouraged. Um, and really it was discontentment and pride in my abilities or lack thereof. Um, so I was writing in my journal, you know, what was I thinking? What were my thoughts? What, what were my desires? So the day before, um, there was a succession of things that happened that uh, just made me feel more acutely, um, yeah, my, my weaknesses um, and, and my, my own deficiencies, um, insecurities. You know, I was, I was tired of, of being unclear in my communication, tired of being tongue-tied, tired of having a poor memory, not being able to remember names easily or other things. You know, not being great at conversations or making others laugh or not being able to talk quickly or process things quickly. So it's not, it's not like these things weren't true before, but the events that happened that day made me just feel it a little more. I didn't think of myself as being envious. And, you know, there's, there's nobody that comes to mind. It's not like I'm envying specific people, but I realized I was wanting and desiring the abilities that other people have. Why? You know, because I perceived those as all qualities of being a good pastor. You know, the ability to speak clearly or just a, being a good Christian, you know, ability to speak, communicate clearly, to listen well, to remember people's names, make others feel at ease in a conversation, connect with people easily. And so obviously all those desires are good, right? Those characteristics are good. 
and I should want these things. Um, but when I realized and when I felt keenly how I fell short of them, I sinfully resented my own lack of abilities and, and even how the Lord designed me. And my mind, my mind was drawn to 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, and, and this verse humbled me. This verse exposed the sin in my heart. You guys know this verse, Paul is writing, but the Lord, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. How did this verse expose the sin in my heart? Um, this is what I wrote down. I don't want to be weak. I, I don't want the power of Christ to dwell in me. I want to be strong in my own abilities. And, and that sounds awful because it is. And I had to confess that and ask the Lord to forgive me, to help me embrace my weaknesses so that it can be clearly evident that, that Christ's power is at work in me. And that's what I want for Christ's power to be known. So Beacon, um, meditating, it, it is hard. Um, but this is the pathway that God designed for us to experience a life of joy with him. So wherever you're at, you know, in the life of your mind, in, in your devotional life, um, you know, how you're doing with your quiet times, my, my prayer is that you would know more of the joy that comes with the discipline of meditating on him and his truths. Okay, let me pray for us. Gracious Father in heaven, thank you, God, for your word. Um, you are the one we rely on, and I pray that your word would do its work in our hearts. Uh, but we also know that uh, we need to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Um, so, Father, we know that uh, we need to put in the effort and we need to provide the space and the time for God, for you to let your truth sink deeply into our hearts, to let it transform us. So, Father, would you do that in our hearts, not just in this sermon, but in the sermons that we hear and in our own time of uh, Bible reading? Um, God, would you cause life transformation for your glory in your son's precious name? Amen.